Don Wildman, the founder of the American Family Association, once stated that one of the main reasons for the deterioration we are experiencing in American society is the silence that characterizes our pulpits concerning moral and theological issues. As he put it, we have 300,000 silent pulpits in America when it comes to the tough issues of the Christian faith. Well, one pulpit where that is certainly not true is at First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Stay tuned for an interview with that church's pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am at First Baptist Church in Dallas, and my special guest for this program is the pastor of that church, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress, th- welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. Well, we're just delighted that you took out the time from your busy schedule to be with us, and God has blessed you uh, immensely by entrusting you one of the most famous pulpits in this nation, a pulpit where George Truett one of the legendary preachers, preached for almost 50 years, and then followed by W.A. Criswell, who <laughs> preached for almost 50 years. Wow, that those are some big shoes to, to <laughs> fill. And, and Are you a little bit awed by this? I'm very awed by it, not only for the reason you mentioned, but I grew up here in First Baptist Church. and uh, You were was, sort of Timothy of this church, right? I really was. Dr. Criswell was my spiritual father in Isn't many, many something? ways. And to come back to a church where you were baptized <laughs> and saved and married and so forth, it's a great honor to Well, be tell here. us a little bit about your career before you came here to First Baptist. How did God prepare you for this? Well, like I said, I grew up here in the church, and uh, then uh, I felt the call to ministry here when I was 16, and uh, then uh, went off to college and came back after seminary and was a youth pastor here for seven years under Dr. Criswell and got to train under him. Then I went away to pastor in other churches for 23 years, and then in the fall of 2007, God called me back here to serve as pastor. It seems like a, a wonderful plan that the Lord had in His mind for it your was, life. And I was. praise God for the, the, the role He's given you here. Thank now, you. you are known far and wide as a man who does not mince words, as a man who's not afraid to take strong stands on very controversial issues. In fact, you have a wonderful book uh, that we're going to offer, uh, tell people how to get it at the end of the program. It's called Outrageous Truth. And it's subtitled, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe In. And and these absolutes are some things like, every other religion is wrong. God is ultimately responsible for suffering. God sends people, good people to hell. Homosexuality is a perversion. Husbands are to be the leaders of their families. Evolution is a myth. America is a Christian nation. Wow. (laughs) Now, uh, this book has had some rave reviews. I was on Amazon.com the other night reading some of the reviews, and I'm telling you, they're just rave reviews. But I want to tell you, there were also some reviews on there that were not rave reviews. They were just people just outraged, you know, and talk, calling you all sorts of horrible <laughs> names and intolerant bigot and all this sort of thing. Surely, when you wrote a book on topics that controversial, you knew it was going to spark some controversy. So why in the world did you write this book in the first place? <laughs> you know, Dave, my favorite review on Amazon was headlined, Worst Book Ever Written. So I <laughs> You know, that's a great distinction to be the author of the worst book ever written. So, 
Why did you write this book? Well, it's because of the fact I really believe many Christians have turned into wimps and uh, they will not stand up. They waffle and waver over truth. We don't expect non-Christians to embrace this truth. But I believe far, far too many Christians have rejected the notion of absolute truth. In fact, as you know, the Barna research revealed that 64% of born-again Christians, 91% of born-again teenage Christians say there is no such thing as absolute truth. They have bought into the idea of relativism, which has weakened and has diluted the Christian gospel. And it's because of what I see going on in the Christian world, the desire for political correctness among Christians, it caused me to say, you know what, we as Christians need to stand up and lovingly but firmly say, this is what we believe, and here's why we believe it. And that there are some absolute truths. That's right. And what I did was, I realized most Christians, Dave, aren't going to read a whole book on <laughs> evolution, a whole book on homosexuality, a whole book on, you know, God sends good right. people to hell. So I took seven of these basic truths, and I spent months and months researching each of these truths, and I've given Christians in each chapter the best ammunition they can use to defend the idea that evolution is a myth, homosexuality sexuality is a perversion, America is a Christian nation, and so forth. Well, you know, this is not only a problem with the people in the pew. It's also a problem with the people in the pulpit. Yes. And you know that as well as I do. I said at the very beginning of this program that Don Wildman said one of the biggest problems we have in this nation is 300,000 silent pulpits where people just don't want to speak out on these things. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with political correctness. We Mm -hmm. just don't want to step on any toes. So, a lot of pastors are tiptoeing through the tulips, and Uh in the process, people are not learning that there really is such a thing as absolute truth. That's right. And I think part of the reason for that, Dave, is I think so many pastors feel desperate to make their churches grow. Yes. They don't want to do anything that would offend a potential customer. <laughs> and so they, uh, in fact, don't want to preach these hard truths for, for the fear of alienated people or driving people away from the church. But, you know, God never called us as pastors to make sure that our churches are, quote, uh, growing or increasing numerically. But he did call us to be faithful to proclaiming the truth. And when I stand before God as a pastor, He's not going to ask me for my attendance figures. He's going to ask me and judge me by whether or not I was faithful to preach the truth. And here's the interesting thing. We have found here at First Baptist Dallas, I just preached this series in our church, and we have found people from all over the Metroplex coming here, leaving their churches to come here because they're grateful for a church that will stand for the truth. Well, you know, it is possible to build a large church with a sort of seeker-sensitive approach and not ever talking about sin or the need for repentance or whatever. But the idea that you can't build one uh, tr- preaching absolute truth is just wrong. Look at this church. That's You've right. had two men like Truett and Criswell right. who stood up there and preached the truth and they let the chips fall where they may. That's and right. this church grew and grew and grew. People right. want to hear the truth and they want to know what the truths of Christianity are. That's right. And I would just encourage any pastor listening to this series to really understand that is your role as a pastor is to preach the truth of God regardless of the consequences. That's what Paul did in his day. That's what we're to do in our day. Well, thank you. And I I want to get to some of these issues now. In just a moment, we're going to take a break. But in just a moment, I want to come back and start going through some of these issues. We're not going to have time to do all of them, but (laughs) we'll take a look at a few of them, okay? Great.
Welcome back to our interview with Dr. Robert Jeffress, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church here in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Jeffress, I want to go back to your book here now, uh, Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe. <laughs> and I want to just start off with the first one, Every Other Religion is Wrong. <laughs> now, I'll tell you, I have found that this is uh, one of the fastest spreading heresies in Christianity today is the idea that there are many different roads to God. Yes. I think it's part of the emphasis on tolerance in our society. Yes. Uh, you must be tolerant. And it seems that the people who teach that are tolerant of everything except evangelical Christians. That's right. But nonetheless, uh, uh, people have picked up on this and I find more and more Christians, even ones who are calling themselves evangelical, saying, surely there's not just one way. Surely there must be several ways. Surely God is, is broader than just one religion. And yet, the title of that chapter is, and I mean point blank, the title, Every Other Religion is Wrong. Okay. Well, that's, it. that is the mother of all politically incorrect statements to say. <laughs> it sure is. I mean, <laughs> it really is. You say that, you better head for the bunker. <laughs> and yet, you know, Dave, if we allow for more paths to God other than Jesus Christ, then we are trying to put ourselves as being more tolerant than Jesus was. Yes, and we make Jesus a liar. We do, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And if indeed there are more ways to God than through Jesus Christ, then the death of Christ really wasn't necessary. Right. Uh, why did Christ come and die that horrible death if there were another way to God except through Jesus Christ? And I found really my experience, Dave, one reason people object to this idea that there's only one way to God is when you think about the consequences, that means that all of the followers of Islam are doomed to hell. All of the followers of Mormonism are doomed to hell. All of the followers of Hinduism, you go down the line, that means there are billions of people that are going to go to hell and only a small percentage of the world's population is going to be in heaven. And most people say, well, that's just illogical. How can you say the majority of the world is wrong and only Christians are right? But isn't that exactly what Jesus said when he said the way that leads to life is narrow and few are those who enter into well, it. Well, this whole issue really uh, is one about the integrity of Jesus Christ yes. and, and whether what He said was really true or not. Was He really God in the flesh and speaking authoritatively or not? That's, that's exactly right. And uh, I was on a program recently on Fox and they were talking about how intolerant it is and anti-Semitic it is <laughs> to say that Christianity is the only way to God. But think about this, Dave. You know it as a scholar more than anyone. Jesus said He's the only way to God. Paul said there's salvation only through Jesus Christ. Peter said there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. Now, what do Jesus, Peter, and Paul all have in common? They were all Jews. That's right. And yet here are three of the most well-spoken and well-written Jews of the New Testament. They all say Christ is the only way to be saved. Well, you know, uh, I, I really believe that this issue about uh, are there many different roads to God is related to another issue that you raise in here, and that's the one about God sends good people to hell. Yes. Because I am convinced that the average person on planet Earth, even the average Christian, believes that if you're just a good person, you'll go to heaven. That's right. Oh, I think they believe that. And even if they don't believe you can make it to heaven by good works, they will say, Dave, I cannot believe in a loving God who, who, that would condemn people to an eternity of literal suffering because they just didn't believe the right things. And they, they, I've heard Christians say, I don't want to believe in a God who would do such a thing. 
But a person who says that, first of all, again, is trying to be more moral and compassionate than Jesus was. Because Jesus gave more time to talking about hell than he did about heaven. Just look at the word count in the New Testament. He talked about a literal hell in Luke 16, a place that was filled with actual pain and suffering and fire. Now, if Jesus was not telling the truth about that. He is a liar and disqualified to be the Son of God. Well, talk a little bit more about this idea of, of being good enough to go to heaven. Yeah. So many people believe that. I mean, they just, you go out on the street and you ask people, and are you going, are you going to heaven? And they'll start, usually say something like, uh, well, you know, I've got a few problems in my life, but I'm a whole lot better than a fellow I know down the street from, from me. That's I mean, right. we, we always can find somebody That's right. that we're right. better than. That's right. And you just find this over and over, this concept that you work your way to heaven. Now, what is the deal about that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The reason people think they're good enough to go to heaven is the standard of comparison they <laughs> use. You know, I'm not Osama bin Laden. I'm better than he is. And therefore, you know, I'm not a Jeffrey Dahmer or Charles Manson. As long as I don't do those kind of things... I'm qualified to go to heaven. But the Bible says the standard of comparison is not other people. The standard of righteousness is Jesus Christ, well, that who is absolute perfection. <laughs> and that's why Paul said we've all fallen short of that standard. And uh, uh, therefore, that's the standard God is using, absolute perfection. And the other mistake we make is assuming that God is just like we are. You know, somebody has said God created man in his own image, and ever since that time, man has tried to repay the compliment. That's right. That's we right. try to make That's God right. like we are. We think we can overlook sin. Why can't God overlook a little bit of sin? I think most people believe God grades on the curve they rather do. than on the cross. That's right. And That's that He's right. sort of a cosmic teddy bear. And then mm-hmm. when you stand before Him, He's going to say, well, I know that uh, you were an alcoholic and you were a drug addict and that you ran around on your wife, but you were really a whole lot better than the fellow down the street. And I know you didn't accept my son as Lord and Savior, but you know, I, you just come on into my kingdom anyway. No That's such right. God exists. No, and and something else you hit on there. People think, well, just because you didn't believe the right things about Jesus, is that really deserving of going and spending eternity in a place of suffering? But the writer of Hebrews said that when we reject or even neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's like saying that the blood of Jesus Christ is unclean. Yes. Uh, that is, it is, uh, in the Greek language there, actually says it is like that of an animal. You're saying the blood of Jesus Christ is no more worthy than that of an unclean animal, and you insult the spirit of grace. Whenever you reject or neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ, what you're basically saying is Jesus' death was totally unnecessary. His blood is unclean. It is a tremendous insult to God to reject the gospel of Christ. You know, I I have found that um, some of the hardest people to bring the Lord are people who are really good people. Yes. I mean, the guy lying in the gutter in the street knows he's got problems. That's right. He knows he needs something. Mm -hmm. And you can go talk to him about the Lord. But good people, I often have found it so difficult because they just feel like, well, hey, I'm a good person. I'm a good husband. I provide for my family. I'm honest. I don't cheat on anybody. I pay my taxes. I mean, what do you mean I need the Lord? Mm -hmm. I'm going to get there. That's right. People believe that. There are some people right now watching this program who I know have that attitude. Would you look right in that camera and speak to them about that that attitude? Well, if that's you today, if you think you are good enough to be in heaven when you die without Jesus Christ, understand you are rejecting what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And you know what it comes down to is, do you believe what Jesus Christ said is true? 
If you say, well, I don't believe the words of Jesus Christ, then you have to say, like C.S. Lewis did, that either he's a liar, that is, he was saying he was the only way to God and he knew he wasn't, or he was a lunatic, that is, he thought he was the Son of God, but in fact he wasn't. If Jesus Christ isn't a liar, if he isn't a stark raving lunatic, the only other alternative is Jesus Christ is Lord. He's who he said he is. And if he is Lord, then you have to accept what he said. And I would say to you right now, there are some of you listening to this program right now, you don't need a preacher to tell you that you're a sinner. You know you've fallen short of God's plan for your life. But the good news is you don't have to spend this life, you don't have to spend eternity separated from God. Right now, you can say to God, God, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short of your plan for my life. But I believe what you've said. I believe you sent Jesus to die for me. And right now, I'm trusting in Jesus to save me and forgive me of my sins. The Bible promises the moment you say that to God and believe it with all of your heart, you can have eternal life. You know, that's one of the characteristics of Christianity. It's unique characteristic. You look at all the other religions of the world and every one of them without exception teaches salvation by good works. Christianity is the only one that teaches it's a free gift of God and there's nothing you can do that earns it. Earn that's it. right. I think it was H.A. Ironside who said all of the religions of the world are spelled D-O. Do this, <laughs> do that, do that, and you'll that's have right. eternal life. That's right. But only Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Done. It's all been done it for is finished. through Jesus yes, Christ. It was done through Jesus Christ. Uh, let's shift gears here for just a moment because one of the things that I've found that often causes people to reject God is the idea that uh, how could God be a God of love mm -hmm. if there's so much suffering in the world? Why doesn't He do something about this suffering? Why doesn't He just end the suffering? And you have a pas passage in here, I mean a chapter that's entitled, God is ultimately responsible for suffering. Yes. And I think that's one of the most difficult truths for Christians to accept, that God is responsible for the suffering in the world as well. Now, I think it's important that we say God doesn't necessarily cause yes. all the suffering in the world. But, you know, if I saw you, when you left First Baptist Church, Dave, and if I saw somebody mugging you, robbing you, and I had the power to stop it but didn't, ultimately, I'm responsible mm -hmm. for that. If I see an evil and I can stop it and don't, I'm responsible. So the fact that there's evil in the world, whether it's flood, hurricanes, murders, whatever it is, if we believe God could have stopped it but didn't, then He's ultimately responsible. But what's the alternative to that? Do we want to believe that we live in a world in which we are victims of random people and random circumstances? I want to believe that God is powerful enough to be in control of all things, even the bad things. And as Paul says, He can cause all things to work together for good yes. to achieve His purpose in my life. And I believe that's a message of comfort rather than to say, you know, God would like to help you in your problems. He would like to stop the suffering, but He just can't pull it off. I don't want to believe in an impotent God well, like that. Well, you know, I have found personally that this is one of the hottest button issues that there is. Yes. And I get a lot of criticism because I'm, I'm particularly uh, involved in Bible prophecy. Yes. And so when I look at world events, I look at them from a biblical viewpoint, from a, uh, from a, uh, a Bible prophecy viewpoint. And I often point out that, uh, for example, when Katrina occurred, I pointed out that I believed that Katrina was a, a remedial judgment of God upon this nation for a lot of things, uh, for yes. the way we treated Israel, uh, for the sins of, of the nation, the sins of New Orleans and so forth. And boy, you talk about criticism. <laughs> I mean, how can you say that yeah. God had anything to do with... But you know, when you look at the Bible and every calamity that occurs there is attributed 
to God allowing that. Well, Isaiah, through Isaiah the prophet, he said, I am the God who causes well-being and, and calamity. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible says that. He said to Moses, he said, am I not the one who made the blind, the deaf, and the dumb? You know, we see a baby that is born defective. We'll give all kinds of reasons. Maybe bad genes. Maybe the doctor made a mistake. Maybe bad nutrition. Nobody would say God did it. Yes. And yet God says, I'm responsible for all of this. I have a plan I'm working out, right. even though in the darkness you can't see what that plan is. I think is. of the preacher Joel uh, in, the, in the Bible where he gets up and he talks about a horrible locust invasion that has occurred. Well, that's the worst thing that could happen to an agricultural yes. society. They ate the bark off the trees and the clothes <laughs> off the clothesline. And he says, hey, you're sitting around wringing your hands saying, what bad luck? Well, I got news for you. God sent the locust. And yes. he sent them for a reason. He's calling you to repentance. And if you don't repent... He's going to send something like the locusts, an yes. army that will be much worse. Yes. And they laughed, and God sent the army. Yes, yes. Well, I, I just think we need to quit letting God off the hook, so to speak, <laughs> to try to make him look get better, to try to be his PR person by saying God doesn't have anything to do with this because what we're doing is we're castrating God. But we're, yes, and we're saying God is not sovereign. That's right. And he is sovereign. As uh, R.C. Sproul said, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, folks, uh, we're going to uh, pause here for just a moment. We're going to tell you how you can get a copy of this remarkable book, Out Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe In. We're pleased to offer Dr. Robert Jeffress's powerful book, Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe. Dr. Jeffress doesn't pull any punches as he explains why every other religion is wrong. God sends good people to hell. Homosexuality is a perversion. Evolution is a myth. God is ultimately responsible for suffering in the world. Husbands are to lead their families. America is a Christian nation. In this book, one of the most articulate Bible teachers alive today gives a clear biblical presentation of the politically incorrect facts that most preachers are avoiding. In Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes That You Can Still Believe, doubters are given reason to believe and Christians are given evidence to strengthen their faith and their ability to respond to skeptics and seekers alike. This impactive book is available for a gift of $15 plus the cost of shipping and handling and can be ordered by visiting lamblion.com. Just visit lamblion.com and click on the TV Offers button. Outrageous Truth, Seven Absolutes You Can Still Believe is cataloged as P70. Dr. Jeffress, let's pick up where we left off with this exciting <laughs> book of yours. I'm telling you the truth. This, this book is something else. And uh, let's look at the chapter that says, Oh, brother, husbands are to be the leaders of their families. <laughs> now, are you one of those guys that just goes around putting down women? Well, not at all. And in fact, you know, I, I say my chapter on husbands are to be the leaders of their families. My goal in talking about submission the dreaded S word, is to try to deliver this doctrine of submission yes. both from the radical feminist and the rabid fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. I think really people in the church as well as people on the outside have twisted the doctrine of submission to say something God never meant for it to say. 
you know, again, people who don't understand the Bible say the Bible denigrates women. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Uh, Jesus, Jesus Paul, never did. <laughs> no, they actually lifted women to a place of prominence that the New Testament world didn't understand at all. He wouldn't even all. talk to a woman as he did at the well. That's right. Uh, that's right. And uh, when uh, Paul talks about husbands having responsibilities to sacrificially love their wives, why in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, that was absurd to say a husband had any responsibility. Yeah. Marriage was nothing more than legalized prostitution. It is Paul and Jesus who gave a a place of honor to women. Peter said, you're to treat your wife as an equal participant, worthy of honor in the marriage relationship. So again, if anybody who understands submission to say that women are inferior to men, no, they really don't understand. So how would you define biblical submission? Well, I think it is understanding and uh, the leadership role of the husband in the marriage relationship. There are certainly boundaries around submission. I think if a husband asks a wife to do something that is in violation of God's Word, Mm -hmm. the Scripture is clear. We ought to obey God rather than men. I don't think it means that women are to be doormats and allow themselves or their children to be physically abused, for example. The sanctity of life applies to life outside the womb as well as life within the womb. So there are some boundaries. But we are to understand that God created men and women with different roles in the marriage relationship. During the break, we were talking about the fact that even Jesus Christ was subject to God the Father. He submitted to God the Father. Although He was equal. He was equal. Yes. You know, most people have a skewed theology. They think we have God the Father up here and then Jesus <laughs> a little bit lower. No, they were equal, but Christ willingly placed Himself under the leadership, under submission to God the Father. And, and, and in by, marriage, and by yeah. the same token, the Holy Spirit calls people to Jesus. That's right. And witnesses Jesus. That's right. Instead of exalting himself. And Paul actually makes this comparison in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, as Christ is subject to God the Father, wives are subject to their husbands. Now think about this in marriage. You have two equals. Uh, Men and women are equal, but in a marriage relationship, the woman is voluntarily placing herself under the leadership of the husband, believing that God is going to lead her through that husband. It doesn't mean that she doesn't give input. A wise husband ought to listen to his wife. Pontius Pilate should have listened to his wife. He would have had a much different place in history. But ultimately, somebody has to have the final say in a family. It's like the late Adrian Rogers used to say, anything in nature with two heads is a freak, and anything with no head is dead. It's the same in the marriage. That'll preach. That'll preach. <laughs> I like that. Well, that, that is a wonderful uh, uh, exposition there of, of what it means to be uh, biblical submission. I, yeah. I thank you for that. I think uh-huh. that'll help many of our viewers in understanding uh-huh. this better, but they still need to get this book <laughs> and uh, read it in detail. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in the reviews of the book is that people raved over the way in which you presented really both sides, they mm-hmm. said, as you went through this. and, and to help people to understand where people are coming from from both sides. Yes. And I appreciate that. Well, I'd like to ask you to come back for one more program so we can discuss a few more of these issues. Would you be willing to do that? I'd be honored to. Thank well, you, Dave. thank you so much. Welcome back to our studio here in Dallas, Texas. I'm excited about extending our discussion with Pastor Jeffress next week, and I hope you will be back with us at that time. In the meantime, I hope you will tell your friends about the program and encourage them to tune in. We will begin our discussion next week by talking about whether or not there really is such a thing as absolute truth. And in the process, we will discuss how modern society has perverted the concept 
of tolerance. We will then discuss some other absolute truths like uh, homosexuality is a perversion, uh, abortion is tantamount to murder, and uh, evolution is a myth. And Dr. Jeffress will close the program with a very politically incorrect appeal to Christians. He will state that the time has come for Christians to engage in a renewed intolerance by refusing to allow error to masquerade as truth. In addition to encouraging your friends to tune into next week's program, you might also encourage them to go to our website at lamblion.com and watch this week's program. And if you have never visited our website, I'd like to encourage you to do so. You will find dozens of articles about every aspect of Bible prophecy. You will also find copies of our magazine and copies of our television programs that you can watch online. You will also find a blog where you can ask questions. We have a full-time web minister who is available eight hours a day to respond to your questions. If you are interested in subscribing to our magazine, The Lamplighter, you can do so through our website. The website also contains our catalog of Bible prophecy study resources, and you can order them online. Well, that's it for this week. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 